the title today, as you see on the worship folder, is What Would Jesus Say on Labor Day Weekend 2013? The simple answer to that is he'd say the same thing he did almost 2,000 years ago. <laughs> For the Bible says in Hebrews 13:8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what I'm going to share with you is something of what Jesus would say. He said so many things that I certainly can't share them all, but uh, I can pick a few and deal with a few of the things that Jesus said. Uh, <clears throat> it's important that we know in this day who we're supposed to listen to. And uh, <clears throat> we've got some good indications on that in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. It says, Jesus, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So there's a clue there about who we should be listening to. But then there's another reference uh, similar to this in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 17, is it? Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus went up there with Peter, James, and John. And as they observed what was going on, they saw Jesus transfigured, transformed. As they looked at him, his face was like looking right into the sun. His clothing was as white as light. And Moses and Elijah appeared there talking with him. And, uh, <clears throat> and Peter, wanting to say something but not knowing what, he said, what to say, he said, let's build three tabernacles here. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then, while he spoke, it says, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice came out of the cloud, <clears throat> out of the cloud which said, <clears throat> this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased hear ye him and so that's who we should be listening to even though there are many voices trying to tell us what to believe what to do what to think and all of this the one we should be listening to is God's beloved son Jesus in whom he is well pleased we're to hear we're to hear him listen to what he says well, I want to just take a few of the, the things that Jesus said in his first recorded sermon in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, before I get to really the, I guess, the heart of what I want to say, I just want to share with you some of the things that Jesus began that sermon with, letting us know how to have a happy and a meaningful life. On this Labor Day weekend, we celebrate the effectiveness of labor that's done in an effective way, an efficient way, in an accomplishing way, and working together to make this a better place. We, we celebrate those kinds of things. But we get our instructions on how to be that kind of a laborer and that kind of a fellow laborer with others, we get our instructions from this first chapter of Jesus' first recorded sermon, chapter 5, 
I wanted to just share with you these eight keys that Jesus gives about how to have the kind of life that is accomplishes something that is happy and meaningful and you not only are feeling that way about it yourself but other people experience that as well. So I just want to briefly share what those eight keys are that he, he lists there. They're called the Beatitudes, which means if you've got the right attitude, this is the way you're going to be. And so the first one is poor in spirit or humble. He says, blessed are those who are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven, is to humble yourself before God and admit, I am a lost sinner who needs a Savior like you sent in your Son. And when we humble ourselves before God in this way, we enter in to the kingdom of heaven. And so that's the first attitude, one of humbling ourselves before God and admitting we need his salvation and asking him to come in and save us and cleanse us and wash us clean. So that's the first key. The second key says, we're blessed are they that mourn. Well, now. That sounds like an oxymoron. (laughs) Blessed are they that mourn. Uh, How can you put happy and mourning together? Well, Jesus said they do go together. You know, grief is what you feel on the inside, but you don't show it to anybody. Mourning is what you feel on the inside, and you do show it to other people. And this is what Jesus is telling us, that when you have that kind of an attitude toward the sinful life that you lived before Jesus got to be Lord of your life, you should mourn over all that time you spent doing things wrong, doing things sinful and evil. You should mourn over that. We had a real touch of God's reviving spirit here last weekend. I'm so thankful for that. And uh, on uh, last Sunday night, uh, Scott Camp preached a sermon on forgiveness. And this is something that He talked about forgiving other people who have done us wrong, let us down, hurt our feelings, and so forth, just deciding and choosing to forgive them. But this is talking about something even more personal than that. For if we mourn because we disappointed God and disobeyed God and we did things that are just ugly to Him, and we mourn over that, the Bible says we shall be comforted. God will let us know, I have forgiven you. I have cleansed you of all that. I have wiped the record clean. No more will those things be remembered. And when God assures us of that, we can forgive ourselves. And that is so important that we forgive ourselves for those things that we mourn about. But there also is mourning about what's going on around us. This is something that God is pleased with when we mourn over sinful things going on around us. There's... Passages in Ezekiel and in Malachi, the two prophets, uh, Ezekiel told about a time when judgment, God was about to send his judgment. And uh, six men with, uh, with weapons were about to come in and, and uh, commit judgment, bring judgment on that city of Jerusalem. But with them was a man in linen clothes with a writer's ink horn. And God said to him, first of all, you go in. And you, Mark, put a mark in the forehead of everyone who sighs and cries over the wickedness that's going on in this city. And after he's finished his job, then you 
destroyers go in and you get everybody that doesn't have the mark on them. So God was pleased with those who sigh and cry over the wickedness that goes on around them. You don't just ignore it and please God that way. You sigh and cry and you wish it wasn't so. Malachi said that people who fear God and talk to one another about these important things are those that are God's precious possession. That he said, when I gather my jewels together, these are going to be some of the very special jewels that I'm going to gather together into my kingdom. And so mourning is something that is a part of an attitude that pleases God and makes us more happy, more meaningful in our lives. The third one is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek is talking about self-control. We all have some strengths, and I'm thankful to God that we do. We have talents, we have abilities, we have spiritual gifts. We all have things where we're strong. But we're not supposed to just try to publicize those and make everybody notice us and, and, uh, and to say, uh, oh, what a wonderful person. We're, we're supposed to be meek and keep all of that under God's control. Let him be the controller of how all of that is used. So blessed are the meek. They're going to be the ones that inherit the earth. It goes on to say, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so this is a wonderful thing. If you're hungry for the right things, righteousness in your life, righteousness in your relationships and uh, in everything that you have to do with, then uh, this says, God says, when you're hungry for the right things, I'll fill you up. I'll make you satisfied and, and happy and not hungry anymore. There was a book that was written back when I was just a five-year-old. Uh, it was entitled In His Steps. It was written by a man named Charles Sheldon. Uh, and it was uh, a book about a church. It was first church, it said, in the town. I suppose it was First Baptist. But uh, anyway, the, uh, the church came to realize that the way we, we need to, and when we live our lives, we need to ask ourselves, every time we come to a choice to be, to be made, we need to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And so that church began to practice that. They had some uh, real prominent businessmen in the church. They had uh, men who published newspapers. They had all kinds of uh, important political leaders and so forth in that church. They all began to do that. <clears throat> Before they made a choice, they would ask, what would Jesus do? And in that book, it told about how the whole, that whole city was transformed because these people were doing that. Well, that didn't just go away back uh, in the early years of this century. Uh, not too many years ago, it got revived, didn't it? You remember that uh, people used to go around wearing a bracelet uh, and it had stamped on it WWJD, which stood for What Would Jesus Do? So people haven't forgotten that. <clears throat> And it was a good reminder unto us. But let me tell you that this is a better way, a better guidance than us trying to decide what would Jesus do. Jesus has told us what we should do. He's been very specific about it in telling us what we should do. And so uh, not only did he talk about those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy means if you're giving mercy, you're giving somebody something better than they deserve. If you receive mercy, 
you're receiving something better than you deserve. I like what one, uh, one writer said. Uh, I was reading about him and his personal life, and uh, he said, when I became aware of what that meant, he said, every time now it's so common for people to say, how you doing? Uh, he said, my answer now is better than I deserve. And uh, that's true of all of us. If we just really uh, looked at it in a serious uh, and open-hearted way, uh, if we are merciful toward others, we treat them better than they deserve, God's going to make sure we get treated better than we deserve. Isn't that wonderful? And so he goes on also to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, I thought nobody had ever seen God. Well, <clears throat> there are several ways of looking at this idea of seeing something. Uh, <clears throat> Yesterday I was visiting with uh, a uh, grand nephew, and uh, he had uh, he had built a little <laughs> aircraft kind of a thing, four-engine aircraft kind of a thing, and and uh, and he was going to take it out and show me how it worked. And uh, looking at the thing, it had four propellers on the four corners, and I couldn't see how that thing could do anything. But uh, uh, we went out into the open field and. And uh, he hooked it up, and with his control box, uh, he made those motors start spinning, and and then all of a sudden, uh, that thing took off and went so high you couldn't almost couldn't see it. It was way up there, and then it came back down and went all over the place. So uh, I could see it with my eyes, but uh, the thing is that I also understood that technology can do stuff like that. Uh, take a little tiny. Uh, thing not not any bigger than that square and uh, enable it to do all that kind of stuff and take pictures all the time it was up there that uh, you could then transfer over to a computer and see what it saw from way up there and down low and everything so yeah there's a way of seeing without you having to see with your with your uh, physical eyes we have heart eyes as well and this is what this is talking about Job when he went through all the stuff he went through uh, <clears throat> At the end of it, after God had spoken to Job and asked him, were you there when I did this? Did you have anything to do with when I made that? And so forth. And Job, after the conclusion of all of that, he said, Lord, before now, I heard of you by what other people said about you. But now, I've seen you with my own eyes. I know you now. I know you personally. And he said, therefore, I abhor myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. There's something about the eyes of our heart that when they get opened up, we can see things, understand things, just even more clearly than with our natural vision, with our physical eyes. And so this is talking about that, the pure in heart. Uh, we'll see God. Uh, in Peter it says, uh, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so there is a kind of seeing that isn't with the eyes, but it's a very real kind of seeing. And that's the promise there. And then, next to last, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Wow. Now, isn't that something? To be have that kind of status that people would say, hey, that guy is one of God's kids. Now, <clears throat> Almighty God that built the whole universe and is in charge of it and makes it all fit together and stay together, 
to be identified as one of his children, boy, that is really an honor and a blessing. That is the kind of status that uh, when we talked at first about humbling ourselves before God, God had said in his word, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. Well, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. You be a peacemaker. Boy, do we need that in today's world. You know, we can't agree with everything, but we can deal with it in a peacemaking way. We don't have to deal with it like in an argument or a fight. We can deal with things in a peacemaking way. And when we do, we're we're identified as a child of God. And then lastly, now we don't like this one, but lastly, it said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now we don't like to think about that, but isn't it a lot better to be persecuted for being righteous than to be punished for being evil? If you had to have your choice, I'd a whole lot rather be persecuted for righteousness sake than being punished for being wicked and evil. And so these are the eight keys that that Jesus gave. Now, getting to the heart of my message is what came after that in that sermon. He said in verse 13 of chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. After having described what Jesus wants us to be, the attitudes he wants us to have as we go through life, after having described that, he said, Now, these kind of people are the salt of the earth. What did he mean by that? Well, I'm sure I can't exhaust all of what he meant, but I know what salt can do. Salt can very uh, actively and very effectively oppose rot. Some of you are old enough to remember that before we had freezers and we could put our meat in a freezer and keep it preserved that way, we uh, would put it in a box and put salt over it. And salt would actively and effectively oppose rot. It couldn't get into that meat, couldn't get through that salt. And so that's part of what we're supposed to be in this world, is to actively and effectively oppose rot. Do you see any signs of rot in the world today, in our society? I see a few nodding heads. I'm nodding mine too. I see plenty of evidence of rot trying to take over in this land, in this society, and spread out to other parts of the world. So salt opposes that, and that's what we are when we're what Jesus wants us to be, as he described it there. Not only does it actively oppose rot, but it adds taste. You know, there's so many dishes of food that are are good, they're healthy, but they just don't taste exactly right unless you put a little salt on them. And so salt adds taste to life, and uh, we can do that. It not only will add Uh, to our lives, but we can do it in the lives of others. We can add a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there and make life more tasty for a lot of other people as well as for ourselves. And so uh, salt will do that. Salt is also one of those essential electrolytes that we have to have it in our system or things don't operate like they're supposed to. We we could die if we didn't have enough salt in our system. And so these are some things that that salt does. And, uh, and, And it's part of what Jesus meant when he said, you're the salt of the earth. 
Salt will give us an alarm about things that have hurt us. Have you ever had a cut and then some salt got in there? <laughs> it was just like it got set on fire, wouldn't it? You, you would know if you hadn't noticed before that you got stuck by a thorn or you got scratched uh, by a briar or something. Uh, you get some salt on it. Yeah, you know it. Uh, boy, that thing got me. And so it as an alert. Don't do that anymore. If you don't want to get hurt, don't do that. And so salt will do that. It will give us an alarm about the things that hurt us. And the last thing I'm going to mention, there probably are many others that God could tell us, but uh, the last thing is, and I practice this uh, every time we have an ice cream social, uh, salt will melt ice. And uh, if you've ever frozen ice cream, you know that that's the way it works. You, you won't get the ice cream to freeze uh, in any reasonable amount of time unless you add salt to that ice. And salt on ice it makes the ice melt and that absorbs heat and it takes it out of the ice cream and so it makes it get cold and solid. And so this is another thing that salt will do. It will melt ice. And a cold-hearted person is about the same as a hard-hearted person. And the salt of this kind of life will help to melt the hard hearts, the cold hearts of people that haven't yet believed in God and accepted Jesus as Savior. So these are the things salt will do. But if the salt have lost, has lost its savor, and if you add one letter in there, an I in there, it would spell Savior instead of savor. <laughs> and that's basically what it's talking about. If you drift away from Jesus, your saltiness is going to begin to play out. And uh, we're warned against this in, uh, in the book of Hebrews. It said, uh, there let us take heed to the things which we have heard and seen, lest they slip away from us. We have experienced just a week ago some wonderful revival experiences here in this church. Now, if we don't take heed to these things and keep it going, all of this will slip away. It isn't really that it slipped away. It's that we drifted away from it. We cannot allow ourselves to do that if we want to continue to be a revived church and continue to be even more revived as we go along in the future. So if we lose that, then it says we're not good for anything. We can't have anything that makes our lives happy and meaningful, and we can't have the kind of influence and impact on other people's lives if we've lost that savor. It's good for nothing. So some people say, well, all you need to do is be nice. Just be a nice person. Uh, just put up with stuff. Uh, no. No, that won't get the job done. It isn't good enough just to be nice. You've got to be salt. You've got to be salt. I wanted to share something with you that happened back in uh, 1996. But a pastor prayed a prayer that was heard around the world. It was, the pastor's name was Joe Wright. He was asked to open the new session of the Kansas Senate, and everyone there was expecting the usual politically correct generalities in the, in the prayer, which often is what you get when you go to one of those kinds of opening prayers. But on that particular day, they heard instead a stirring prayer, passionately calling our country to repentance and righteousness. It said the response was immediate. A number of the senators got up and left during the prayer. But this pastor was pastor of Central Christian Church in that city. 
And they got over 5,000, they logged over 5,000 phone calls that the following week from people that heard about that prayer. And, uh, and only 47 out of the over 5,000 were uh, critical of it and were uh, uh, responding negatively. Commentator Paul Harvey, which many of you remember hearing, uh, love to hear his news commentaries, uh, he put that on his program. He read that prayer as part of his program. And Paul Harvey said that he received a larger response to that program than any other program he ever aired. People, when they get a good dose of salt from a salty person, they respond positively to it in the, in the vast majority. Now, there will be negative responses, but uh, this is just an indication of what kind of response you can get when you are a salty person the way Jesus wants you to be. It said that Central Christian Church not only got those kind of local calls, but they received international requests for copies of that prayer that came all the way from India, from Africa, and from Korea. And here is just something let me just share with you something of his prayer, if, if I may. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, Woe to those who call evil good. But that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have, worst, we have endorsed perversion and called it an alternate lifestyle. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule, and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. Uh, in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Now there is an example of a salty Christian. And this is what Jesus said later when he asked the disciples, Who are men saying that I am? And they said, well, some say this and some say that. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And that's when Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and he complimented Peter, and he said, flesh and blood didn't teach you that. The Heavenly Father revealed that to you, spoke that into your heart, and you accepted it. And Jesus went on to say, upon this rock, he said, you're, I gave you the name Peter, which means a stone. You're going to be a stone in the building. But upon this rock of faith in me, <clears throat> I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I think Scott mentioned in one of his messages last weekend 
that we are not seeing as much of that as we should. The gates of hell not being able to prevail against us. We need more of this salt that Jesus was talking about. We need to embrace these things that make us a salty Christian. We need to let go of fear of what men might say and instead have a fear of displeasing God and disobeying him. And so as we come to the close of this service, it's time for us to just think about, okay, what would Jesus say to me? Has, have some of those things that he said that I've, I've talked about, has he been saying some of those things to you? Is he saying something other than that that I didn't even mention, but he's speaking to you about? We like to give an opportunity for people to respond to Jesus when we have a service like this. Let them say, yes, Lord, I will do it. And when you do that publicly, there's something far more powerful than if you do it secretly. Jesus didn't call us to be secret agents. He called us to be known believers in him. And so if he speaks to you and says there's something you need to get settled, this will be an opportunity to do it. I'm going to have a closing prayer, and then we'll have you to stand. Brother Wayne will lead us in our invitation hymn, and it's your time, your opportunity to respond to what God is saying to you. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for sending your son Jesus and for telling us that in him you are well pleased. We're to hear him. We're to be like him. We're to do what he said. We thank you for this message that you've given to us. It's been here for a long, long time, and it still is appropriate. It still is right. It still is what we need. It's what we need to be and do. And so, Lord, speak now to us individually. Call us out if there's something that we need to get settled that needs to be done publicly. Give us an open heart to do privately what you may be dealing with us that doesn't need a public response. But, Lord, may your will be done now in these moments as we close out this service. For it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen. Let's stand together as we have this time.